Welcome to the inaugural Oscar Bait Podcast. Introducing your hosts, Jenny Townsend and Natalie Tanchik. Leading as contributors on an arts program on community radio, these two film buffs have been reviewing film online and on air for a number of years, regardless of whether or not anyone is listening to them. Jenny, an up-and-coming filmmaker, won the award for most brutally honest sports reports in 1996, but has yet to secure an Oscar nomination. Media mogul Nat regularly nominates her Halloween outfit for best costume design, but the Academy has stopped answering her calls. This is the pair's first podcast series together. This is Oscar Bait. Yes, hello and welcome to Oscar Bait. Well, you know, Jenny, ever since I was a little girl, I've always wanted to host my own award show podcast and do it better than Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> well, just think of us as the Brett Ratner and Eddie Murphy combination that we sadly never had. Sadly. Sadly. But coming up on our very first show, we'll have plenty of bad one-liners, let's hope, and we'll be discussing this week's new releases. We'll talk about what early buzz and whispers are on the golden studio streets. We'll take a look at release timing and how it can make or break a film's award chances. And we'll be doing a review of cinematic heavy hitter Gravity. But first up, let's start with the news. You want to hear some great news? The Rome Film Festival happened last week and it's picked up a bit of buzz for some potential acting nominees. The Best Actress Award winner at Rome Film Festival was Scarlett Johansson for her voice-only role as an artificial intelligence um, AI of like a smartphone. So she's basically played Siri in Spike Jonze's new film, Her. Please wait as your operating system is initiated. Hello, I'm here. Hi. Hi. I'm Samantha. Now, how do we feel about a potential Best Supporting Actress nomination for Scarlett Johansson for playing Siri? I, look, I'm not like a massive fan of ScarJo to start off with. She's fine, I guess, but, you know, it would make me upset, I think. I would think I would get angry. I get unreasonably angry about some things, especially movies. Is it a long shot, do you think? Because I, we know the Academy loves a gimmick. Yeah. It's, I think it's a bit of a long shot, but it, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. It depends on how well her does in general on other fronts, I think. Mm. Because if it does well, like, for Joaquin's performance and, like, in a best picture way, then I think they might give her a nod. But, I mean, it's, it's like, what about all the other voice actors that do amazing jobs and that is their profession? That's what they do. Why don't they ever get... They don't have an, a voice actor award. I would be pissed off. I agree. I think it, you definitely need to recognise voice actors if you're going to recognise ScarJo for this because yeah. it's not like it's any different, to be honest. It is just being a voice actor. Yeah, and it's just because it's her. It's because she's got her, her big lips and big tits. What's it like to be alive in that room right now? I wish I could put my arms around you. I wish I could touch you. How would you touch me? But also at the Rome Film Festival, uh, Matthew McConaughey won Best Actor. Yes, for his role in the Dallas Buyers Club. So that's that that gives him a good chance to getting a, a nom. It's or it's a early indication that maybe he's going to be getting a few more 
Mm. nods in the future. Yes, yeah, certainly. Matthew McConaughey has been um, hitting the serious route in the last year or a couple of years or so. He's trying to be taken seriously. Well, you know, I heard a funny story, which is probably a wild rumour, but they're apparently that during Tropic Thunder, Matthew McConaughey and Steve Coogan went out on a massive bender, had a big bender week. And uh, when Matthew McConaughey woke up from said bender, he decided that he was never going to do a romantic comedy ever again. Nice. And since Tropic Thunder, I mean, you know, there was Magic Mike, there's been Mud, Dallas Buyers Club. Mm-hmm. He's living up to it. Are you becoming a better actor or are you taking roles that are better showing the skills that you already had? Good question. And I got to, it's honestly, it, it's honestly, I think a bit of both. Speaking of uh, being presumptuous, The Hollywood Reporter has published their roundtable conversations a little bit too early. Now, this is a tradition that The Hollywood Reporter does every year where they get the, the top sort of people from each field to have a discussion about their work and, you know, where the state of the industry is at. And this year has been pretty interesting. There was a cinematographer one where they had a good discussion about 3D and the state of digital versus film and all that sort of stuff. But what was most interesting about The Hollywood Reporter is they've done a roundtable of writers Mm. and included George Clooney. For his uh, turn in The Monuments Men. Yes, because he co-wrote Monuments Men. But what's interesting about this is that that movie's not going to be in this year's Oscars at all. No, no. They decided to um, shift the release date back, which we'll be talking about later on in the podcast as well. But they've shifted the release date back because they were a bit scared of gravity and, you know, 12 Years a Slave coming in and taking (laughs) and going, oh, maybe our film is better for next year. He's not in the running, and he's not known for his writing. If anything, he's known for his acting and directing, yeah. So it seems interesting that they would include him in the writer's roundtable for a movie that's not in contention, and, you know, they could have had Charlie Kaufman or something instead, surely. Anyone. Yeah, anyone. They could have had... Any writer. Alexander Payne? Oh, they did have Alexander Payne. Anyway, the point is, (laughs) they've uh, prematurely ejaculated, let's say... (laughs) with their roundtable discussion. <laughs> Jason Statham has come out and said that stuntmen deserve Academy Awards. If punsy actors can win them, then so can stuntmen. And it's an interesting point that he makes because the Academy Award for Best Stunts has been proposed and proposed and proposed yearly since um, 19... 1991. 1991. And rejected every year. Which is so unfair. I mean, stuntmen do good work. Stunt directors and, you know, stunt choreographers do amazing work and it's really important in a lot of films. It's definitely been overlooked. It's definitely, like, it's a part of filmmaking that, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to get any recognition. It says um, in 1966 they did an honorary award for a stunt performer, Yakima Knut, who did most of John Wayne's stunts and also choreographed Ben-Hur, all the Ben-Hur scenes. So they have, like, recognised it once for one person, but, I mean, stunt performers are kind of putting their life on the line Mm. most of the time. Like, they're crazy. They deserve some recognition. This is probably the only time I've ever agreed with Jason Staten. (laughs) Ever. Big movies to small movies. Uh, some of the shortlists have come out, and one of the big surprises was that the Gravity Companion short, uh, directed by Alfonso's son, 
Jonas. Jonas. Jonas uh, Cuaron. Um, Aningak, which is sort of like the other side of the story to a part of gravity because Sandra Bullock has a conversation in space. I'm not going to say anything more. And Aningak is the, the other side of the conversation. Hello. Hello, my and we see the other side of it and it missed out mm. it is not in the shortlist for the academy award so which means it can't get a nomination and won't get an award that's it's interesting because i got a lot of buzz and excitement people going if it had been nominated it would have you know, it would have been a game, like a record breaker, like a mm. game changer. Like it's completely different for any sort of spin off to be nominated at the same time as yeah, the film. It would have been a, a record for the first uh, time that a film, a companion piece, will be nominated for best short and. Um, best picture. It, it's a lovely little thing, but it is very much a companion piece. And we've been talking about whether it, it really stands alone as a short film. And I feel like if you don't have the background knowledge of having seen Gravity and knowing what um, Sandra Bullock's character, Ryan Stone, is like going through mm. at the time, then you know you don't quite enjoy or get the gravity oh. of the sh- oh. of Aningak. <laughs> Well played. <laughs> yes, no, definitely. It doesn't stand alone. You can't watch it without having that prior knowledge, which probably counts against it. So we have the short list of the potential best live action short films. What are the ones to watch, do you reckon? I think just from trying to guess from like synopsises and stuff, because a lot of them aren't available to watch at the moment. Um, there's one that is a Spanish one about a, a child soldier from Sierra Leone. It's a bit Oscar Beatty, <laughs> to be honest. It's a it's a drama with a message and it's trying to raise awareness and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's about a Spanish woman in Africa trying to save kids from becoming child soldiers. So I think that's probably a big one. That's called Aquel No Era Yo. Mm-hmm. That wasn't me. <laughs> there's one called Helium, which there's not much known about it, but the people behind it, it's directed by Anders Walter and a company called M Productions and they have won well I mean they've been nominated four times in this category and more possibly and won Oscars so I think they will probably get one and there's one called The Vorman Problem which is uh, got Martin Freeman in it, a British one, which looks like that might have a potential as well. Cool. Well, good ones to watch out for. And while we're talking about shortlists, the shortlist for Best Foreign Language Film has been released. So the way this works, if you're not aware, is every country gets to submit one entry for the foreign language short film. So it's a competition not out of foreign language films, but more between the countries. Yeah, it's kind of like a Eurovision for the Oscars, I it guess. <laughs> and, and it is kind of unfair in that way, I think, that one country that maybe has produced many, many foreign language films only gets to submit one, whereas other countries that are English language speaking, like Australia or the UK, have to find some yeah, kind of... Yeah, they have to search for one. Have to search for a They have to sort film. of pick a foreign language film, which may not have been the best film that the country has done, mm. but 
you know, they didn't have a choice. But it is sort of like it's a double-edged sword because on the other hand, smaller countries, which maybe aren't making as many films, are getting a chance to advertise themselves to the world a little bit more. Um, like there's nomination, like Azerbaijan has like yeah. put out a film and all that sort of stuff and Moldova. So there's a whole lot of places where you think, well, it's actually kind of working well for them. But then, yeah, think places like um, France or Italy or South Korea is actually a big contender. I know in the past few years there's been, issues about which film they have to choose which is their favorite which is their best so and um, and, and definitely like them. choosing whether they want to go with a film that kind of represents them or a film that they think's gonna be best be the best chance to win an award the french submission i would have thought would be uh blue is the warmest color which is about a lesbian relationship it's gotten many accolades many awards at Cannes. Um, but that's not the one they chose. No, they've gone with Renoir about the painter, which is um, interesting. Yeah. But it's 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 something that they would have had to deal with. And it's it's funny because if if we had if it wasn't if it was like international movie, not foreign language, Australia would have a better chance at putting forward some good movies. Like Animal Kingdom got a bit of Oscar buzz a few years ago with acting nominations. But if it wasn't a foreign language thing, we could have put Animal Kingdom up for like international film and just smashed the category. And for once, Australia would have won something instead of like just being like <laughs> our actors are doing so well but not getting anywhere. <laughs> Australia has made a um has made the shortlist though and they it has have made, made a shortlist they've got a submission this year a film directed by kim mordant that's um called the rocket it is interesting there's a few english language countries mm-hmm. um submitting foreign language films this year so australia's got the rocket which is set in lao so it's in um the lao language yeah. um, about a young boy who is trying to lead his family and friends to find a new home so that could be interesting a little bit of a a little bit of a refugee one which is always a big fun topic in australia (laughs) um and also uh new zealand has a maori film called white lies and the uk has something called metro manila which is set in the philippines which could possibly maybe because of all the philippines disaster relief efforts at the moment get a bit of interest purely because of its location they might have got lucky who knows but yeah it's a foreign language is an interesting category i'm sure we'll get into it more later (laughs) in review with nat and jenny space 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 Gravity, 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 gravity. In case you haven't heard all the buzz and hype surrounding Alfonso Cuaron's long-awaited follow-up to 2006 Children of Men, let me give you a brief rundown. Sandra Bullock is a medical engineer on her first mission to space with the experienced astronaut George Clooney when everything goes horribly, horribly wrong and they are both set adrift in the vast nothingness of outer space. Sounds like a great concept, right? Yes, it is. And the greatest part about gravity is that it is executed beautifully. It is absolutely a technological marvel. It is definitely one of those films that you must see on the big screen. And even, dare I say it, in 3D. Because it is immersive, stunning, and hard to believe that it is mostly CGI. Sorry, everyone else. The visual effects and cinematography awards have already been swept under Alfonso's carpet. However, 
but it is perhaps a little shallow on the story front. On first glance, it seems to have all the elements of a sweeping philosophical space epic along the lines of 2001, and it does dip its toes into that water. It may even affect you emotionally, but in reality, it is closer in spirit to an isolated tense thriller in the vein of Alien. But where Alien had sci-fi horror story innovation, Gravity's innovation lies in its images. And so I urge you to go see it now while it's in theaters because I suspect the film will not retain its power on itty bitty iPhone screens. Explore, do you, do you copy? What did you think of Gravity, Nat Garrett? I I also, I really enjoyed Gravity. I saw it at IMAX in 3D and that is the way to see it. I don't think you can see this film any other way because it's all about the immersive experience. It almost plays like a video game in the way that a lot of it is in first person. You feel like you're, you're lurching along and, you know, you're actually physically kind of part of Mm. the experience. And I think, that's why gravity is getting so much buzz is because it's so innovative in its execution yeah it's it's intimate it's mm. because obviously it's it's quite a small story it's one person's story so you are really along with her the whole way yeah it's you know it could be you that exactly. is going through the same stuff i mean and there's good and bad with that as in it could be you but also she doesn't have much of a character mm. so that you can yes. insert yourself into her position. It's like an every man type thing. So yeah. you can project your own feelings onto what's happening. Exactly. She's inexperienced because I mean, I, I have no idea whether NASA actually sends <laughs> medical engineers with only six months training into space, because I think that's ridiculous. How did she make the transition from like medical equipment to like space equipment yeah there's a lot of questions that's not very well explained but that's but that's not the point like Mm. the point is that you are experiencing space and the horrors and the terrors of isolation in space and then when you step back and you watch the film again because i did see it twice you start to see a lot of flaws in Mm. story in character construction It, it comes off as very shallow and again it's because they want you to be part of the experience so if you if you make the characters too rich and too detailed, then you start to not be able to identify with them mm. as easily. So the less detail, the better. That's a good point, actually. And I think that's a very clever move because it has made like the impact just absolutely phenomenal because people who are seeing it for the first time on the big screen are just blown away because you feel like you're in it. But it won't last. I don't think it's it's... I wouldn't call it a gimmick. I don't think it's a gimmick movie necessarily, but I do think it's not going to be a stayer. So how's it faring awards wise? Well, it's going to, it's going to sweep the technicals. It's got visual effects and cinematography in the bag. I mean, apparently what they did was a lot of flying in planes and getting the, you know, and dipping up and down and getting the anti-gravity thing happening. Yeah. And they it constructed a special light, light box mm. to make the light on the actors' faces correctly. So they were acting in a little box for most of <laughs> So awards-wise, technical awards, cinematography, visual effects, in the bag. It'll be nominated for Best Picture. Nominated for Best Picture. Could take it. And could take it. Quaron will get a director nomination. Uh, acting? Don't think so. No. Sorry, I'm, babe. I mean, maybe, like, I think Bullock maybe, but I just... Maybe a nomination. Maybe a nomination, but she won't take it. No. 
No way. This this ain't a white guilt movie like The Blind Side, so <laughs> unfortunately, Sandra, you've missed your chance again. <laughs> the timing of a film's release can make or break its Oscar chances, and there have been a few films this year that have already seen the competition and gone running to next year with their tail between their legs. Films like George Clooney's film that we mentioned earlier, The Monuments Men, uh, which is a World War II heist comedy, Nicole Kidman's uh, Grace Kelly biopic, Grace of Monaco, and the film Foxcatcher, which is all about the murder of Olympic champion Dave Schultz by John DuPont. It's a another biopic and apparently Steve Carell has quite an amazing turn in it. All of these movies that would have been very Oscar Beatty and very much vying for awards have now seen Gravity, have seen 12 Years a Slave, have heard that they're going to win all the awards and have gone running to 2014. So how important is the release date to your awards chances? It's an interesting sort of dilemma that uh, films face. It's Generally, that's why there's a certain time of year where it becomes like the Oscar bait kind of movies and all the movies seem to get really serious and (laughs) dramatic and a lot of them are biopics at the moment. Um, And that's generally sort of November, December. Basically, there's a cutoff date with the Oscars that you have to have screened your movie for one week in Los Angeles and one week in New York. And that sort of puts you in contention for the Academy Awards. The problem is, is that if you're screening it for one week in January, people tend to forget about it. It happens a lot with a lot of awards categories. It's what's freshest in your mind and what's biggest in your mind that often gets like the attention because people are forgetful animals. (laughs) So you're right. If a film is screened early in the year or even during summer, American summer kind of blockbuster season, it it tends to be forgotten about by the time voting comes around because voting happens, you know, quite close to the actual awards sort of around Mm. the beginning of the year, like January sort of time. Yeah. So there is like a a definite Oscar season where all of those sort of movies uh, tend to aim to be released by. But then there are independent movies that are sort of like a slow burners like sleepers where they start off because a lot of the independent movie film festivals like Sundance and South by Southwest are actually at the beginning of the year and that's when they start to kind of um, test the waters so independent movies can actually build I mean look at like Beasts of the Southern Wild last year which was a super independent movie that kind of stole the hearts of people over the course of the years to eventually get a nomination for Best Picture which pretty incredible actually that it did and yeah so it's sort of It's a hard way to figure out when to release things. I think middle of the year, like June, May to June is probably the worst time to start things. You've either got to build slow or go big at the end. Yeah, it definitely depends what kind of film you're doing. So if if you're Gravity and you're a big blockbuster and you got a hell of a lot of money behind you, you know, October, like the time it came out is pretty much the optimum time. Yeah, which is why, because especially if Gravity had released at the start of the year, it would have gotten the same amount of, like, um, response, I'm sure. It would have gotten the same amount of hype. But the problem would have been that people would have started seeing it twice or three times, Mm -hmm. like you were talking about, and the allure of it would have worn off by that stage. And think about the artist. Why did that even win? I mean, let's be honest, it was a big gimmick. And that was the same sort of thing where it... 
it released late um, and it hit hard. Like it hit the hearts of Hollywood who wanted to like give themselves a bit of like love because they were mm. feeling down on their luck. <laughs> so they just loved seeing their, their old golden days. The release date is very important to your chances, which is not surprising that um, these movies would have decided to push back to next year. But at the same time, it makes me think maybe they don't, Maybe they don't have much confidence in themselves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what kind of message does it send to potential voters and viewers if you think, well, my film is good, but it's not as good as Gravity, so we're going to try next year. It's in contention for the Oscars, but not when it's up against a slave movie. Like, <laughs> not going to happen. I mean, yeah, it's sort of, it, 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 it makes me worry about them, like their confidence. Of course, they are citing what they say, like the production companies behind this movie are under finished like post-production taking a bit longer than it should have and all this sort of stuff they're not admitting to the fact that they're they're scared (laughs) but um you know it seems like they must be because there is basically since venice there's just been no turning back on like the the powerhouse that is gravity and 12 years a slave which hasn't even made it to our shores and won't until january unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah it's it's worrying for them i think Mm. makes me feel like maybe they'll just never be seen to illustrate how important release date is for the success of a film you only have to look as far as Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker which was a huge had a huge huge sweep at the 82nd Academy Awards which was in 2010 for the 2009 film but The Hurt Locker was made in 2008 and released was meant to be released, released in 2008. 2008 but then I mean that was 2008 was sort of the year of Slumdog which swept the 2009 Oscars and so it probably was a similar it was a similar situation where Slumdog came out of the festival circuit and was making so much noise everyone was just so excited for it mm. that they kind of decided to push it back and Hurt Locker kind of took the independent route instead and sort of did a a build a slow build to take over which was interesting because it didn't feel very independent at all Catherine Bigelow had done quite a lot before and it's a huge it's kind of a resurgence for her though she kind of like disappeared she was doing blockbuster type stuff and then like went bunkered down for a while and did started doing really dramatic heavy movies (laughs) but they played the cards right and they held off for a year and released the hurt locker around sort of july-ish in 2009 instead of in 2008 when the film was made and that did take that festival sort of sweep and it got a whole year's worth of buzz buzz and swell until it eventually did us all proud well it killed avatar which was really fantastic interesting (laughs) as well considering how much hype was around avatar and avatar was released like right at the correct moment as well the thing was that the hurt locker decided to come out slowly over the year it built rather than you know being the big blockbuster at the end of the year vying for awards and that's how it can really swing timing in your favor and it's all about timing it is it's so much about timing and the the thing that's good about the hurt locker is that since it decided to do the slow build it built its audience hmm. so people like remembered how good it was and it, it holds up sort of thing so that's i mean i guess that's the difference there's either like flash in the pan end of the year or there's people who have confidence in their story and who know they can build the audience and remain in the hearts and minds of the voters yeah, instead of just impressing them at the last minute <laughs> 
Well, that brings us to the end. And to wrap it all up, we're going to give out our weekly award today. And today's award is for the biggest disappointment to their father. And that goes to Honus Quaron, who can't even get onto the shortlist for live action shorts. Followed closely by Sofia Coppola. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Next week, we'll be taking a look at Paul Greengrass's Captain Phillips, starring Tom Hanks. Uh, we'll also be giving you the latest news, stuff about releases, more wonderful buzz coming up over the week. Oh, and um, um, I just want to... Um, wait, no! <laughs>